Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to begin in, uh, in verse, uh, verse 3. I want to read this whole section that we've been dealing with over the last couple, of, uh, last couple of weeks. We always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. This is Paul speaking to this church. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned, learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. This morning I want to talk about our participation in the gospel. Uh, we've talked about how the gospel is the revealed exclusive truth of God. Um, and we've talked about how uh, the gospel is grace. And grace is when a sovereign who owes us nothing gives us everything. When we receive uh, not in return for our, anything that we have to offer, but out of the character and benevolence and, and graciousness of our God, we receive salvation through Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel is powerful, but a message without messengers is useless. Uh, you, you, ever, uh, you, you ever find uh, like somebody else's mail? And you don't, in your mailbox, and you don't realize it's not yours, and you open it, and then you stare at it, trying to figure out what on earth this is about, until you look at the outside and go, oh, this is for Bill. I probably should not have opened this. Um, I've done this on occasion. Um, we, we have a problem in, in our neighborhood. Um, the numbers of the houses in our road make no sense. Um, it goes 1, 7, 11. 13. <laughs> so, uh, so basically, I get a lot of mail from other people. And uh, one time I got something that came from the same bank that I, I bank with. And I opened it up and went, oh, my goodness. And then realized it wasn't mine. Um, a, message, a, a message delivered to the wrong person or a message without a messenger, it, it's meaningless. Without the, the connection uh, of the message, uh, the messenger carrying the message to the right person, a message doesn't accomplish anything. And the gospel, while it is extraordinary and amazing, if it is not being carried, if it is not being presented, if it is not being, um, if it is not being proclaimed and preached like we talked about last week, then it doesn't have any significance. But the issue with it is that when we look at the gospel, when we look at the idea, the big churchy word, evangelism, when we talk about the idea of evangelism, what we tend to think of is us as individual people running around preaching to our friends and families, co-workers or strangers, and saying, here is what uh, the Bible says, and you should listen, and you should uh, become a Christian. And I want to encourage you, with just this idea of Epaphras, um, what the gospel uh, means to the church and how the church should be the primary agency, agent of the gospel. Now, the church gets a bad reputation in our society. 
we have a tendency to look at all the abuses of people that call themselves churches and go, the church doesn't do anything. The church is institutional. What use do we have for the institutional religion? What use do we have for organized religion? Well, friends, if you have no use for organized religion, you came to the right place. Because we are about as disorganized as it comes. But I want to look at this guy named Epaphras in verse 7. And the way that Paul describes him. Because I think this is how a church discovers its mission together. He describes Epaphras first in verse 7. He says, Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. Now, fellow servant in, in Greek... Um, is uh, it's a it's a compound word sindulos. Um, sindulos is dulos means slave, and sin means together. So it's a servant or a slave together. Now, when we hear the word dulos, we hear the word slave. We hear it in English. Our word slave comes from uh, Slav, which is the the ethnic group of people in Eastern uh, Eastern Europe um, who were enslaved by. The, um, by the Germanic people in Western Europe, and so we use that word Slav, um, became slave for us. Um, the Anglo-Saxons, by the way, use the word thrall. That's why when someone is, um, in, is Twitterpated, which is a word from Bambi, that's a deep... Um, uh, but uh, when, when someone is, is so in love that they are a slave to that person, we say that they are enthralled. Right? That's where that word comes from, that enthrall was a slave in the Germanic languages. Um, but then we picked up the word slave. Dulos is not the idea of slavery that we have in the, in the American world. Because when we think of slavery in America, what do we think of? The South. The, uh, my, favorite, my favorite way of not describing the South as the South. Antebellum America. All right, which means pre-war, all right, pre-war South, the antebellum South. We call them antebellum uh, plantations and call, instead of calling them slavery concentration camps. Anyway, um, when in America, slavery um, is, is equated with taking Africans from Africa, uh, bringing them here and having them work for white people. Now, interestingly enough, that was not all there was to slavery in early America. Um, Indians and uh, Anglos could be enslaved, all right? Um, and the legality of all this stuff, the indenturedness, the way it all structured, I'm not going to get into it. It's built on English common law. And it, um, but anyway, uh, the, this, that idea of slavery is not the idea of slavery that existed in the Greek and Roman world. Now, there, there was certainly an aspect in slavery of financial ownership. A person was owned. Um, but interestingly, in the way that the Roman law worked, um, you did not own the person's body. You owned the person's work. So essentially, employees. Uh, with a non-compete clause. Um, but, but the idea was that someone would actually be sold into slavery. There is a specific amount of work or a specific number of years of work that they were enslaved and then they could be freed. Um, often, believe it or not, um, the, the, um, the Jews would sell themselves into slavery to a Roman for the purpose of uh, obtaining Roman citizenship. Because after they were freed as freedmen, um, this is uh, kind of a, a quirky way, but as freedmen, they could then purchase citizenship. Whereas as Jews, they could, it was much harder for them to do it. 
uh, until Julius Caesar passed a a, a law called the Lex Julia. And I'm not going to get into all that because you don't care. Anyway, um, slavery slavery was was not it was not a I can beat you, I can I can kill you, I own you, but rather I owned your body of work. And there are actually a number of people in the Bible who are slaves. Um, believe it or not, the the uh, the beloved uh, physician of Paul, um, Luke, may have been a slave. Uh, because most doctor, most slaves were doctors, or most doctors were slaves, um, and he was Paul's uh, physician. And I have I've read several people that talk about how um, Luke was probably a gift from Paul's brother or sister um, to to Paul. Uh, there's a famous slave in the Book of Philemon. Um, the Onesimus uh, is a slave, um, and Epaphras has a diminutive name. Uh, of the Greek word Epaphroditus, and Epaphras may have been a freed slave, this person who Paul is describing. And what's interesting about the church is how many slaves there were in the early church. Because the church, and Paul talks about this all the time, it doesn't matter whether you're freed or slave. Well, why would he say that if the church did not consist of both groups of people in the church together? So you want to talk about diversity in the church. We could talk about racial diversity. We could talk about generational diversity. Just imagine a slave and the man who owns the slave worshiping together. It makes an interesting dynamic, doesn't it? Especially if one, like Epaphras, appears to have a position, of a teaching position and authority in the church. So when Paul describes this guy as a fellow servant... Now what he's doing is he's transferring Epaphras' service from mankind to God. As Paul often describes himself as the servant or the slave of Jesus Christ. And he's saying Epaphras, regardless of his background, regardless of where he came from um, and, and, and who he was, uh, he's, a, he's become a fellow servant in the work of the gospel. I want to tie a couple things to, fellow, to being a fellow servant. First of all, the gospel involves, this is deep, work. The gospel involves work. The gospel is not magic incantations. We wake up in the morning, we have a bucket of it, we just throw it up in the air and hope it drifts to people and they become Christians. Uh, one of my favorite... One of my favorite um, uh, millennial pastors, or he's actually, I guess he's an, a, late, an early, a late boomer kind of a guy. Anyway, this guy named Dan Kimball, he is the weirdest pastor you will ever meet. Um, he is a rockabilly guy, so he has a real high pompadour, and he wears rolled up blue jeans and vintage t-shirts, and he plays drums in rockabilly bands. He's a very, very cool dude. Um, but, and, and he pastored a church called the Vintage Church. Well, Dan, he collects um, Christian Chotskys. You guys know what a tchotchke is? All right, uh, uh, bric-a-brac, uh, bobbles, All right. little meaningless things, bobbles, trinkets. So people started sending him things. He has things like he has like a collection of bobblehead Jesuses, which are hilarious. Um, he has a, a um, he has a, a magic eight ball Jesus that has a bunch of different slogans. You shake it, it's like, and you flip it over, and it says things like, "I'll ask my dad, smite him," um, those kind of things. Um, but, but he has a collection of Christian poker chips. 
and they're poker chips that have Bible verses printed on them. And, and I remember he's speaking at a conference one and he goes, he goes, I do not know what you do with these. Do you slip them in the stack while you're playing blackjack and hope that the dealer reads it and prays and get, becomes a Christian? What is the purpose of, you know, is it to encourage? I, I don't, and, and I'm sitting there going, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I can understand pretty much every other kind of Christian tchotchke except for the Ask Me Jesus. I don't really get that one. All right, but even the Jesus bobbleheads I can understand, but the poker chips I don't get. But so often people think, well, the, the gospel is about me just throwing things out into the world and, and hoping that people will catch it. They'll catch the gospel and become Christians. That, you know, like, like if I, if I, and, and uh, understand what I'm, I'm about to say. I am not in any way, shape, or form criticizing these activities. But the idea that, well, if we just go out and we teach people English, they will become Christians. If we just go out and feed people uh, meals, they will become Christians. If we just go out and we start schools, if we, just, if we just pull together a bunch of money and send missionaries to foreign fields, that's the work of the gospel. No, it's not. It's not. Because that's what that's doing is we're just throwing things out, hoping that people notice the gospel. The work of the gospel is work. The gospel is proclaimed. Euangelion, the Greek word for, that we get gospel from, all right, um, euangelion means a declaration by a messenger. And the messenger of the gospel is the church. You and me, our relationships which bind us together we become fellow servants to do the work that belongs to our master. Now, so often when we think the work of the gospel, we think of Lone Ranger preachers. How many of you have ever seen one of those people that have decided that they're going to convert their, their car into a gospel message? And it is plastered with, you know... Uh, for all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I mean, there's, there's one out in the West Coast. It's like a double-decker bus. And it, it's got billboards and pictures of Jesus and all kinds of stuff going on. Like, or or uh, my, my, um, my, uh, my, this is a really complicated relationship. My grandfather's second wife's fourth husband. Um, <laughs> Sandy's, Sandy's awesome. Um, but she, she, um, she, she uh, he, he passed away. She married another guy. Um, and then married another guy. They, they keep dying on her. And, um, and, and anyway, I, I don't know what the deal is. She, married, she likes older men. Um, and, um, but anyway, he, he used to stand on the side of the highway with the cross, with Bible verses printed on it. That was his work of the gospel. He was going to share the gospel with people. He was going to stand on the highway with a cross. I, I, okay. All right. Um, street preachers, we had a kid when I was in college, used to go to Boston, get beat up all the time, and he, and he took that as, I'm a messenger of the gospel, I'm preaching the gospel in the subways. I was like, no, you're just a white guy standing still in the subway in Boston. I mean, it's not, it's not complicated how many times you've been mugged. It doesn't matter what you're saying. They're not beating you up because you're, they're beating you up because they know you have money. Um, you know, there's this kind of uh, interesting situation. I went to school, by the way, I went to school in, in Milton, I don't know if you guys know where Milton is. Milton is like a super ritzy town on the top of a hill and on the bottom of the hill around it. And Tom testifies, I'm not making it up. It is all dark. Like, like I mean, it's a bad place to be. Mattapan and, and Roxbury. And there, there are places that, in fact, you know the shooting yesterday at South Shore Plaza? That's where my wife and I used to go for dates. All right. 
And I'm watching people going, yeah, I never go to South Shore Plaza. People getting shot all the time. I'm like, wish I had known that in the 90s. They were apparently better at hiding it back then. I used to ride, ride my bike through, ride my, uh, ride rollerblades, actually. I didn't have a bike in college. Ride my rollerblades through Dedham, Mattapan, Roxbury to get to work and didn't tell my mother because she, when she found out when I was in my 30s, she almost had a heart attack. So you can imagine what it was like when I was 19. Anyway, um, you know, the, the, the ministry that we talk about, the ministry of the gospel, it's not about being lone rangers and, and, and you know, I making sure I share the, the, the ministry of the gospel is the work of the church. Everything that the church should do, does, our relationship should be, should be invaded with the gospel or, or it should be present in us. We're called to do a work and we're called to do it together. Now that doesn't mean that we don't share from time to time, but it doesn't mean, but it also, uh, that we don't do it individually from time to time, but it's also a work we do together. Um, so much of the modern church is focused on service of self, about how I feel, about my connection, about my spiritual journey, and so little is about how does my growth as a believer transfer into connections with other believers connected with those who aren't believers to show them Jesus. I had somebody one time say to me, uh, say to me, well, my spiritual gift is, fill in the blank, I'm not going to get into the whole detail, and your church needs my gift. I said, this is probably not the church for you. He said, well, you know, I really want to, you know, and, and this person, they had come a couple of times, and they were telling me, this was very early on before, back in like 2010, oh, it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I really, this is what I do, and I think you'd really be connected, and I'm like, and I, when I made this statement, you know that the gifts of the Spirit are not to individuals, they are to the church and to the world through people? That if you have a gift of, of evangelism or a gift of preaching or the gift of service or the gift of grace or the gift of pastoral care, whatever gift you want to bring up, if you have a gift, God did not give you that gift so you could walk around and say, I have a gift. God gave that gift to someone and many someones through you. That's your purpose. And we focus so much on self-service, but we need to focus more on Christ's service. The gospel should, it should pervade everything we do and say. Now, does the gospel transform us as individuals and we bear witness to what, that's what a testimony is? We bear witness to God's work in us? Absolutely. But is the purpose of God doing things in me solely so I can look back and go, wow, God really likes me? The answer is no. He loves you. I can't guarantee he likes you. And then secondly, he describes him as a faithful minister of Christ. The Greek word is diakonos. It's the word that we get deacon from. It appears in the feminine and the masculine in, in the New Testament. It is different from being a slave. So a, a, a slave, doulos, can be a minister, but not all ministers are slaves. But a minister, now we read that word, and we read minister, and we think ministry, and if we think ministry, we think vocational ministry, and if we think vocational ministry, it, we translate that sometimes into it's something Eric should do. 
Because he's the vocational man. He's the one who's paid to be here. Now, I was actually told this at one point. I preached a series on the gospel, and someone in our church, this was again almost 15, 16 years ago, came up to me afterward and said, great sermon, but that's what we pay you for. Also discovered that this was not the church for them. Um, that was where my phrase of ministering open-handed came from. We don't hold on to you. If you want to go, go ahead. If you want to stay, go ahead. We want to be a part of what God is doing. So what does it mean to be a faithful minister? Well, ministry, and this is going to be a little bit weird, but ministry is not about serving others. You say, that, isn't that the point of ministry? Ministry is serving others. Ministry is about what we are serving to others. We are servants, we are ministers of God, of Christ, of the gospel to others. See, so often when we describe ministry, we talk about what are the needs of people, I have to meet those needs. And that's where we come up with the idea of, well, the gospel is really about us building schools or serving meals or, or whatever, because those are the needs. Uh, in, in the last year, last year, we had all the chaos that erupted last, uh, in 2020, the summer of 2020, cities burning and all that stuff. And there were all kinds of Christian leaders going, well, the gospel is about racial reconciliation. The gospel is about... Now, I am all for banning racism forever. I'm, I'm all for breaking down that barrier. But the fact of the matter is, that's not the gospel. You want to get rid of racism, you start with the message of Jesus Christ. Christ and the gospel to all mankind, you teach people what all mankind means and racism will disappear. But if you start around going around, Jesus wants us to not notice people's skin color. First of all, only racists say they don't notice people's skin color. <laughs> only people go around, you know, it's like, well, you know that guy over there, the brown guy? Whoa! It's not a shock to him, he knows. <laughs> right? You know, and, and, and walking around, and the, but this is not, the gospel is the answer. You want to deal with racism, the answer to racism is in government legislation that bans things, because that never works. We make government rules that ban things all the time, and all it does is make people better at hiding what they're doing. The answer, the, go the, the gospel is about people being transformed to the mind of Christ who died for all mankind. And if all mankind, if God loves all mankind, then guess what we, the agents of the gospel, are called to do? It's not complicated. But ministry is not about serving others. It's about serving Christ by serving others. And that's an important prepositional phrase. It's about serving Christ by serving others. Not serving others hope they see Christ, but serving Christ by serving others. Um, where are you, and this is the question I have, the big, the big idea is a big question today. Where are you being called to be faithful to the ministry of Christ? Now I'm not saying where do you see needs? I'm not saying where do you feel comfortable. I'm saying where do you feel called to be a faithful minister of Christ? 
What do I mean by that? Let me break down the word faithful. It means full of faith. I know you guys are appreciating the deep theological understanding that my PhD education has given me. Deep. It means you are called to minister to something, that thing, you become faithful in that thing. It doesn't mean you have to be the best at it. It doesn't mean you're going to get applauded for it. But it means you become faithful in it. Now, that faithful ministry of the gospel can take all kinds of shapes. Did you know it is a ministry of the gospel, men, to love your wives? It is a service of Christ to love your wife. It is a, an, a, an embodiment of the gospel. And I'm not making this up. Paul actually says that you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. That, that your devotion to your wife... And I'm only talking to men, but ladies, obviously, it applies to you. Your devotion to your husband is also a work of the gospel. Your commitment to discipline and lead and teach and nurture and, and, and mature your children, that is a work of the gospel, and you're called to be faithful to it. You're called to be as faithful in your work of the gospel, in sharing the gospel with others, you are called to be as faithful in all the other aspects of the gospel as well. Um, when somebody says to me, well, he's a horrible person, but he loves Jesus. I go, whoa, hold up. This is, this is one I encountered this week. Well, what does it matter if you believe the right things, but you have the wrong actions? Our actions flow from our real beliefs. So if somebody says they believe the right thing, but their actions don't reflect that belief, guess what? They don't really believe it. My little sister, Kristen, a lover, lover to death, had this thing about touching electric outlets when she was a kid. It's little, two, three years old. Um, tiny little thing. And she just was fascinated by them. Now, she never electrocuted herself or anything like that. But you would say to Kristen, um, oh, wait, let me, I don't want to pick on her too much. Let me, let me pick on myself. I, as a kid, had this thing about towels. Now, my dad is like me. I'm like my dad now in this particular regard. I don't know if he's still like this. Towels in the closet must be folded. Okay? Now, as a kid, I was not a folder. As an adult, my wife will tell you, I do not allow other people to fold things. I have a very specific system for the way that I fold things so they fit. Now, my wife gets all of her clothes, which I've carefully folded. She refolds them the way she wants them. Um, but I do all the laundry, and, and uh, or 80% of the laundry. I don't do all of the laundry. Anyway, when I was a kid, I had this thing about how I just didn't care whether they were folded or not. So I would just slop them together, throw them in the closet. My dad... So my dad had this thing, the way he taught us to do stuff is he would have us, I call it now the repetition drill. I have no idea what he called it. But for example, if, if I did that, he would give me a towel. He would hand me a towel. He would take a towel. He would lay it on the table. He goes, this is how you fold a towel. He would fold the towel. He goes, I want you to do that till I come back. And I want to hear you counting that you're doing it. And the way we counted with, this is the way that we fold towels. This is the way that we fold towels. And then he would leave the room. 
And I had better be sitting at that table going, this is the way that we fold towels for however long it was going to be. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, half an hour, day and a half. Um, You had to ask permission to go to the bathroom while you were doing one of these things. Uh, My little sister used to always leave doors open. He would have, this is how doors are supposed to be closed. This is how doors are supposed to be, because she was slacking off on it. We won't get into it. But I, I was... I was folding these towels, and, and the reason I was doing it, all right, the reason that I was doing it was my dad was trying to get me to understand something, but I didn't understand it, because you know what? As soon as I stopped folding those towels, the next time I had a towel, guess what I did? I just threw it in there. Son, did you learn your lesson? Yes, I did. Clearly not. Here's a towel. This is how we fold towels. This is how we fold towels. This is how we fold towels. Throw the towel in the next time over and over and over again. Did you understand what I told you? Do you understand why we fold the towels? Yes, Dad, but I continue to throw the towel in. You know that we as people, we do this all the time. We say we believe something. We say we believe in the gospel. We say we believe in the church. We say we believe in, in, in uh, doctrine. We say we believe in all of these things. But then our lives don't manifest what we say that we believe. And guess what that tells us? It tells us we don't really believe it. We might say it. We might, we might verbalize it for others, but it does not change it because true belief leads to behavior. I believe, and I know it's absurd, but I believe that if I spend too much time in salt water, a shark will eat my leg. And as a result, I do not go in the ocean. I hate the ocean. My wife will tell you. They will go to the ocean. I'll put my toe in the water. Then I sit in a chair and read a book. I do not like the idea that there are sharks in the ocean. That's where they live, not me. And they are hungry, and I am not. I don't... Now, now and that, can, that forces my belief about bodies of water. That's my true belief. Now, you can say, Eric, do you, do you really believe a shark is going to eat you? No, no, no. I'm big, tough man, blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you something. A piece of seaweed brushes my leg while I'm wading through the ocean. I will jump so high. I will catch somebody who is, who is windsurfing past me so that I do not have to touch the water again. I hate the idea of sharks in the ocean. You can tell me all you want that there are no sharks in that ocean. I don't care. Sharks don't follow your rules. They're sharks. That's the difference between a real belief, my belief about sharks, and what I say. Sharks are not going to bother me, but I'm going to sit here just in case. A faithful minister is someone who changes their thinking around what God has called them to do and to be. A faithful husband, and I'm using this as an, ap- as an application, not an exclusive thing, but a faithful husband changes his definition of what a beautiful woman is so that it matches his wife. He believes that she is the woman that he will be with and he changes his thinking so he stops looking at alternatives. I believe I'll be with my wife forever. Forever. You alter your thinking. You say, I'm a terrible dad. Do you believe your children need a good father? If you really believe that, you will change to become a good father. You say, you say uh, I believe in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform the lives of unbelievers, to see them 
changed and renewed and revived and living a new life in Christ, if you really believe that, you need to change your way so that you become faithful in it. And that works in the church as well. A church says, we believe in the gospel. We believe in Jesus Christ as the savior of the world. But we don't really do much in terms of that. We need to change our thinking. This isn't complicated. Rather than formulas or prepackaged plans or church consulting, consulting forms or any firms or anything like that, all we need is the church to be agents of the gospel. And Paul gives us these four things. I've already mentioned all of them. Love, service, faithfulness, and ministry. To love God enough that his love flows out to others in our faithful ministry and service to them. Our ministry of Christ to them, our service to Christ as slaves. All that focused not for our own glory and grandeur, but for Jesus. Because if he truly is your savior, if he truly has redeemed you from the, transported you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, if we are truly changed by God, if that has really happened to us, that change needs to pervade all of who we are and transform how we as a church preach the gospel, both in words and in deeds and in prayer, like we talked about last week. Epaphras was a faithful, a beloved fellow servant. He was loved, he, he loved and he was loved he was a servant. He did the work. He was faithful, which means full of faith. And he was a minister of the gospel. And we as individuals joined together by the Holy Spirit, doing those things, become a church that is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The revealed word of God. The grace of God manifest in Jesus Christ, who died and was raised again, and for the renewal of our hearts, our minds, our souls, the transformation of our lives. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, our growth as, as believers starts on the outside, works its way inside, and then works its way back outside. And I know the process and the work that is involved as you mold and change and transform us. And we're not perfect. Not a one of us standing in front of you is as faithful as we should be, as loving as we should be, as, as serving as we should be. Not a one of us can stand in front of you and say, we have no flaws, no issues, no areas to work on. And yet you have called us to be the agents of the gospel You've called us to be the agents of the truth. You've called us to be agents of grace. And to preach Christ in all ways and every way. Become all things to all men. If by any means we might reach some. Lord, may our work as the church be your work. As we think and contemplate, as we grow and change as we add people and lose people as as we shift and change in this mighty whirlwind of a world lord may we always be about the gospel of jesus help us to know how to make that a reality 
in our individual lives, in our families, and as a church. We pray all this, God, our Father, our Savior, our Creator. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, by the Holy Spirit, amen.